Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we are your children. We're thankful, Lord God, because you made the heavens and the earth with the beauty of making us and thou must as well in it, in peace, in safety, in health. Lord God, your plan for mankind was that we would walk with you in a beautiful garden, that we would praise you daily, that we would enjoy your presence. And oh Lord, because of our folly, because of our sin, because of Mother Eve and, and Adam, Lord God, they precursors to our sin caused the fall of man, but you did not want your creation to go away. You wanted us so much that you sent your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And we thank you, Lord God, as we're in this season of marking that sacrifice, which we actually mark all the time, but God, we mark it especially at this time. And Lord God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that even this morning, if there's a heart that wants to repent and ask the Lord to be their Lord and Savior, that you are opening the door. You said a humble and a contrite heart you would never despise. I thank you, Lord God, for your blessing on this place. Lord, I thank you for the 110 years that you have allowed this body of Christ to continue. Lord God, we know that it's not about the people. It's about the Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you touched all of those hearts over all of those years. I thank you for every soul you saved over all of those years. I thank you for every body that you healed over all of those years. I thank you, God, for those that you helped have stable emotions over all of those years. And the people whose finances were bad, but they prayed to God and you were delivered them. Lord, there's been blessing after blessing, 110 years of blessing. And Lord God, let your people recognize that. I ask you, God, let them rejoice in the things that you have done and that you are yet doing. Lord God, we thank you for our pastor. Lord, I thank you for her. I ask you, God, to help her this morning. Lord, as she celebrates you, that's the main, the main celebration of Jesus Christ. I ask you, Lord, to help her share this word that is on her heart. I pray, Lord, that it would be you speaking. I ask you to strengthen her. I ask you, Lord God, to let the word bless her as if she comes hearing it this morning for the first time. And I ask you to bless this congregation. I ask you, Lord God, the things that we still come short in, I pray that you help us to see your way and to yield our bodies and our minds to you. Lord God, I thank you because you're still in the healing business. You're still in the delivering business. You're still in the business of saving souls. And we thank you this morning. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank God. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Today is a very happy birthday to all of you to the church. I'm going to switch for a minute. We, I have a couple announcements real quick. Um, first, can I get the slide up for the Easter party? We have an Easter party coming up on April 1st for all the children. And there's a lot of children out there today, and a lot of kids. Um, so on April 1st, we will have a party. It should be on the slides right before the presentation. There it is. Um, and this QR code, not sliding onto the other, but that QR code, if you point your phone at it, it'll take you to a link where you can register your kids for this. Um, and the registration helps us to know how many kids are coming so that we can be prepared. And along with that, along with preparing, we are collecting candy for this party. There will be an Easter egg hunt and other activities. There's a basket out there with candy. That's not for you to take, but that's for you to donate. So, um, so when you're at the store, if you want to pick up an extra bag of candy and drop it in there. Also, you may have noticed the rotating slides at the beginning of service. I think I just, just lost something. <laughs> but I wanted to let you know that the week of Easter, the Holy Week leading up to Easter, we have Palm Sunday, and the children are going to be celebrating with us. They'll be singing a song, um, Vieta and Shirley, and the whole team is working with the kids on a song. So there will be that, but we also have some other days that we're going to be 
celebrating. Um, we have Holy Thursday. I know Michelle, who will soon be getting her pastor's license, Michelle is working on something for Holy Thursday to celebrate, I don't celebrate the right word, but to remember the last supper uh, that day. And then Good Friday, we'll have a small little intimate service if you're interested for that Holy Week. So this will be a lot of stuff. And then we have Easter Sunday. It'll be on our regular time, 10, 15 a.m. We might be, we will be out there to make some more room. I know a lot of people attend on Easter Sunday, even though they don't regularly attend. So we want to make sure we have room for everyone because it feels like it gets crowded. We have some people who had to move up to the front row. And so I always like seeing people in the front row. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. So sorry about that. Easier to handle from here. Yeah. <laughs> but today, we have power back. But today is our 110th anniversary. I was reading an article. I posted it on Facebook if you want to read it. But it was talking about how on March 17th in 1913, the Church of Nazarene was organized in Canastota, New York, with 23 charter members. And the document, it was kind of funny reading through it. The first pastor was here like six months, maybe seven months. And then they had another pastor here who was here for part of a year. And then they had two years without a pastor. Then they had about a dozen interim pastors and another pastor come in. And this article, it was only given eight years history and was written, I think, in 1921-ish from what I gathered, but there were, I don't know, maybe two dozen names of people who had pastored here in those first several years. Uh, but I want to invite Stan up. He put together a presentation. It's coming. It's going to come. He has a presentation. <laughs> and you know the day, the day that we have a big presentation with multiple slides would be the day that a fuse blows and everything shuts off. But I'm excited. He, he gave this presentation before, and I love seeing the pictures and the history. And if you haven't noticed out there, we have Dean McLean and Lori out there putting together a bulletin board, a couple uh, picture frames, and there's pictures on all the different tables. So, ooh, got sound here. Um, but yeah, I will invite Stan up here. And also, one more announcement. We still have those cards to fill out for the shut-in. So afterwards, before the potluck, we're going to ask everyone to fill out five cards before you can eat. <laughs> you can eat without filling cards, but that was my, that's what I was told to push the fill out those cards. But here is the end of the song for history. Well, we said today about victories. There's certainly a bunch of victories in our history. It was a victory for those people who met a brother blacksmith shop. I believe it was in the corner of Diamond Street and South Peterborough here in Canastoli, that little sharp corner. I think it was a black shop located down there. And then they purchased property from the Cooper family who lived right here in South Peterborough, I believe. And at that uh, the original, uh, the first church built, you can see the on Chapel Street, you can see the building, and there's a cornerstone there. Um, where there's probably some buried in it, even, even now from the original time. But it has really been 1921 when they built that first church. And that first church, I have a picture of it here, but if you go over and look at it now, there's no bell tower. I know. But we have a picture out on the table that shows the big bell tower, and way up above that church, and they would be able to ring that on Sunday mornings. I've often been on this property, and often been the entrance, had a prayer bell tower where it would ring chimes over 
the village of Canastor, Alicia, on Sunday morning to let them know that we were wishing that. Uh, Hold on. We and I were blessed. One of the pictures of the founders of this church has three people in there. Okay, this is the Scarborough Church. As we said, it's organized there. We believe it's on the corner of the street in South Korea. That building has since burned down and was built by the things there that the garage here with the ambulance center there. Um, now, three people that are in the next picture are Emory Shires. We were blessed that Emory Shires come back to us when we were in this building. Tommy was 100 years old. But this man was science school superintendent for 25 years. He missed two days in an attendance building. Been here for 25 years. My one was a blizzard, and I don't know if was, but when he was here, the earring came out And so he uh, talked. About the boats on Mary Canal. He talked about the bridge on Peterborough Street and up and down, how the operator of that bridge had his son get crushed on the But he says that was before the depression. Everybody knew everybody. It was just three or four boats who walked on the street. Everybody knew that, you know, 50 cents a dollar, whatever you needed at that time. He says things changed since the depression. And then Ruth Cooper, the pianist, she would play it with my dad, uh, was saved in one of the tent revivals. They put sawdust in a large tent. And had a revival service, and he went there as a kid to bring that revival service up. He was gay. They didn't dare go back the next night. He went and got saved. But Ruth Cooper would play at those revivals, and she would play Victory in Jesus, and it would kick us blood dance in the aisles so she would play that song. Just a dynamic, dynamic pianist. This is the church without the bell tone. It'll get mixed down. Way on the far side of those bushes, you look and there'll be a, a stone that says 1921. There's a picture of it, it has the bell tower on it. There's Emory Shires, tall, vibrant, excited man, 100 years old, just praising God. Okay. And Ruth Cooper is a short little lady on the, on the side there. Just, uh, I didn't know Mildred Bina. We, from the time that I was young, these were old railroad ties that we made into a cross for folk. But we've always been in the boxing hall at the parade or whatever we could from this church. Let's give more pictures of that. Here's my, my dad and mom. Uh, dad had quit high school and then got called to the ministry. He went to Chicago Seminary, which is now Robert Sussman College, and finished his high school doing and did his both mom and dad, both kept their licenses. Uh, we were in the church over on Chapel Street. And God told us it was time to move ahead. We had support of several people in the community. Homer Ball, we bought this property from. He wanted to make sure there was a church built here. He says it's going to be my church. Uh, Mr. Robinson was a lawyer in town. He helped us do all the legal work and put it together. It was just, they felt in their hearts that God wanted a church here and they wanted to be a part of it. These are our twin boys. We uh, sold our church in faith. We got $12,000 for it. And, uh, we said we're going to the bank, get a loan, and build a new church, and we sold it. And we used that money to buy this property. It cost 15000 for the property. We had twelve from the sale of our church, and Homer Paul says, I'll, I'll hold it to 3000 I'll hold a note for you, pay it when you're ready. And so we had to move. We went down to the bank, and that day the bank saw a close from the financial scare in our nation. That was back in about um, 74, 73, right in there. And, uh, so we had to move to the Grange Hall, and we have the person who lives there now. Where is he sent? Dennis? I don't see Dennis here. 
way in the back room, Dennis, they're living up in Union Corners in that place that was the green trial we met for churching. And every Sunday, my, our boys would roll out the red carpet to make it look like a church. We had an altar, it's, it was around here a couple of years ago still, and we had wires for curtains so we could have classrooms. This is the plan that, that God put in our hearts. See, we've only built portions of it right now. We haven't extended the sanctuary out. We haven't committed to that. We haven't built our new sanctuary yet. And we haven't built our gymnasium yet. We have had the amphitheater out back. We have the picnic area. We have the storage shed. We have the double parking lots. So we still a volleyball area. And we have a softball and soccer area, although we're taking down our backstop. But that's the investment plan that we have. And those guys are really excited that we can. Now, so we had to start building, and we got this contract. This is all, I'll do your building for you. And we gave them all the money we had, $3,000 a time. And we came up here, we dug the ditch for the foundation. Well, we dug it, and it filled up with water. And we didn't have electricity, so we bailed it all out by hand, and it, and it was October. Filled up with water again. We bailed it all out by hand, and it filled up with water again. Third time, we quit plant and poured the congregation about for the foundation, and then we got and put the blocks all around and they told us we've run out of money. And he says, you told us you were going to do the slab too. And he said, well, we jumped a lot. There were 22 of us, 22 guys, met him up there. He says, look, you probably should do it. You'll do it. We'll help you. And so we set a day. We brought in the concrete. All the area concrete was around there. Trowels going to be the big uh, gas power. Trowels donated to the concrete. All 15 helping us with that. Special pipe donated. People from the community helping us. And we got that slab done. And then we found Reverend Andrew Cohn and his stepfather, Glenn Card, who were both carpenters, they came up there and started building the walls. We had three inch walls designed, but we heard times of six inch, and it was so much warmer in there, so we switched to six inch walls. So we get lots of insulation in it. They put up all the trusses by hand, got them all up. We had Edwin design them, and they, they says, We can design a Dutch yet. We went about 10 different truss places, and uh, Edwin always could design this right here, and it was set up wrong. Reverend Cohn had to rebuild all those trusses. We got it all done. And uh, here's Jesse Yeager. He was one of the former workers. He was a carpenter there. He's probably he and, and uh, George Rialli and Pasha were all carpenters in the area. They were loved by the whole community. Probably everything from here in North Bay, they probably worked on half of the houses, fixing and renovating. He was carpenters in the area. His wife was principal of North Bay Elementary. Well, we finally got the roof on, and anyway, says we can't guarantee your roof. It's done wrong. We didn't put our trusses together right. We didn't give us any directions, and it's out. They said, you got to take it all down and start again. We talked to them, they finally said, you put three extra trusses in there. It'll be okay. I was crying. I was brokenhearted, and my friend from one night, who was also a Christian from New Beginnings, he said, God gave you three extra trusses so the roof wouldn't fall in when sinners come in. It just blessed my heart. It just my heart. My hearts were so weak. I knew it was like rubber trying to put those nails in those extra trusses. And how we got in there, it was just on this back hip over here. They said they just don't have the right trusses in place. We put them in. They okayed it. Ed Pluff was in our church at the time, we 300 pounds plus. He got up there in the roof. He walked around and said, Nothing's going to pray this roof in. He said, I walked over and tested it. We got it going. We got inside. God has provided miracles. Where did the money come up from? We had a fundraiser for our little group. And we raised 45000 from the few families we had, from people who kind of want to support this. And we, we were able to get a loan from the bank, and, and they would put that into this building. That's what it cost to put it up. Now, uh, my dad 
retired then after 20 years of ministry here, and our next pastor was Pastor Barry Cook, he had a full of here at that time, here he is sitting at the table with his family, but God's blessed him, he's living down in, uh, he's retired now down in, um, let's see, where is it, Cambridge? And uh, this, our next pastor was Pastor Phil Abbott. Phil came as a single person, he says, I don't know if I do want to hire a single person. We got, got married while I was here. Uh, he has two other girls, one's a missionary down in Peru, but and their their ministry now in Mexico, Missouri. The next is uh Bob Keha. Um they came here as a young couple and their three children. Um they were here for about three years and they're currently missionaries in Thailand. Uh next was Pastor Jim Hildreth. He came here and says, Don't tell my dad I'm coming here. His dad was also coming here as a district superintendent. And they didn't want to be in the same district, but they worked here, and it was through Tim that we uh, worked together to get this addition over here. Uh, we were having problems, and all of our classes had to be out here in the large room. We had to put up dividers, and it got a little noisy at times. And then if you had children's church, you couldn't hear anything, you couldn't hear the sermon in here. But uh, we decided we had to go for an addition. We also had to go in faith, we sold our parsonage. Uh, our old person who had to buy a new, we didn't know how we were able to do that. We had no money, we built the building, and God blessed us with a place where we had a tenant. And with that money, we were able to pay for the parsonage we had. And so it was over on Catherine Street. Um, but since that time, um, when we brought in Pastor Jeff Rogers, the DS said, Hey, you've got a larger sanctuary, you've got to get a new parsonage, and you've got a double pastor salary. So we tried all those things. We didn't get the sanctuary enlarged. We did get a new parsonage, God bless us for that even. We got it um, much less expensive than we ever thought we could. And, it, and we got it all paid off in, in a relatively short time. We got this addition going um, because we had all kinds of programs. This is some of our Sunday school. Uh, there's Mrs. Shank. Is she here? One of my sons with some of the kids here. We had quiz teams. We've always had junior and senior quiz teams. Uh, this was a remarkable occasion. This team hadn't been beaten in years, and we beat them. Uh, that was just we couldn't believe it. We won. Uh, we had all kinds of vacation Bible school things. This was a fun one where we had uh, sailors and stuff. This is, I don't remember what this occasion, I think this is new members coming in. More vacation Bible schools. Who's that man? I don't <laughs> Should have seen his beard. These are our caravan kids. Kids love coming here and, and staying out the, the years of caravan. It's like a scouting program. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some people would prefer we didn't have those problems. <laughs> Who's that guy? <laughs> this is <laughs> We've just been known for, well, talent. These are the children who are their talent. We did talent here, we did talent across the district, different churches, and we even did it in restaurants to see. We did camping. Camping's always been a part of our church thing. Here, this was in our backyard, but also down in Brooklyn. But we've always enjoyed getting together and camping. I think Al remembers getting his camper out there in the backyard. Did you get stuck? Yeah. <laughs> but we've always enjoyed music together. Pastor Tim Hildreth is a phenomenal soloist. He just makes things, making green tunes. Dean loves to make green tunes with things. Getting in parades is also part of our tradition. That's in our vacation Bible school. Uh, we just, every year we've been able to 
do a really nice job, but we've been able to carry ourselves with pride. Softball, kickball, whatever, even soccer in our fields. Baptisms, this is one of our members' pools. This is God's always plus we've got people to lead our teams. One couple that did a great job for several years. Was it a pumpkin farm together? Caroline has always been a tradition. We've done sometimes just taken a bunch of cars, going to all the shuttings for our church, and then to the restaurants for the ARC and their various group homes and their place of bars. We always, for many years, had to live the charity. And you see the goats there, those are live goats, those are not official. And uh, what's the other things like? Well, maybe it's not worth it. There's a llama, we've had rabbits, we've had donkeys, and fire pits outside so people could stand around and get warm. Uh, pajama parties, especially over the Christmas time. Choirs. Uh, Christmas for Jesus has always been a thing we've always done. Bringing stuff around the Christmas and blessing the churches with it. And there's always the events in the area. This was, uh, I better show that logic and deep about that. But this is a matter of an ice fishing trip. Uh, I guess it's not going to clear this. But we were out on, up on one of the lakes up in the Rondacks and went together. We had the ladies in the water. And then, uh, well, it's not going to go very fast for me. But we had a big catch of fish this night. This is children doing their talent in restrooms. We found that when the children practice all these talents and get together, it'd be nice to do it for other people. And so that's always been a tradition. This was a wedding following dual time. Last because of a victory after victory. This church was a victory. The addition was nothing but a victory. We built this addition. We said, uh, we're going to take bonds from our people of our church who raised $85,000. We said we will pay it off in five years. We actually spent $115,000 and paid it off in six years. Under the anniversary for the church of Nazarene. Uh, we celebrate here. Everybody dressed up. We got some balloons into the air. Pastor Jeff had a great time with that. Well, this guy, I'm going to catch up here. Basically, the future of our church is in our youth. We've always believed that. And we want to pass it up any way we can. And now we're looking forward as we move into a few more years. God bless. Thank you. Can I switch to this one now? Yeah. All right. You think, don't need one. I think one of my favorite, <laughs> my favorite stories from that is about the three extra dresses. I've often heard somebody walk into a church and, or that they don't go to church because they're afraid that the, the roof is going to fall in on them because they're such a sinner. But here we can be, we can be at home for sinners because we have extra trust in these roofs. We're not going to fall on you because of your sins. So I think that that is wonderful. We're going to dismiss the children. We have Mission Sunday. Mission Sunday was pre-planned today, but then it came open. Um, Mission Sunday, they've been doing that once a month, and it was pre-planned. And it just so happens to be that Stan is one of the teachers for missions. Sunday for the kids, and so they have, they decided to still do it and delay it, and so don't worry, I have a sermon for you. We are good to go. I'm, it's going to be a shortened one, because I know we're 
crunch for time, but today we're going to continue with our sermon series, Water for the Way. We are at least three or four weeks into this, and we're following the story of Jesus through the Gospels. And last week, you might remember, we, were, we read about the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus, he was traveling through Samaria, and this is a place where Jewish people usually didn't travel because there was a long history of disagreements between the Samaritans and the Jews, and so it wasn't safe for a Jewish man to travel through Samaria because he could get mugged or he could, he could get murdered even, and so they would always travel around Samaria, but for some reason Jesus had to go through Samaria that day. Jesus had to go through there, and so while he was there, he was resting, and he encountered this Samaritan woman at the well, and she was she was gathering water in the middle of the in the middle of the day because she didn't want to run into anyone. And who does she run into? She runs into Jesus, the Messiah. And so Jesus chooses that moment to reveal to them to reveal to her that he is the Messiah. He saw her, and she she runs off with this message, and many are converted to to follow Jesus because of her testimony. The scriptures say that many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. That was her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay in the town for two more days. And because of his words, many more believed. On Wednesday night, we're going through the same series, Water for the Way. If you would like to join us, you all are invited. It's Wednesday night at 6.30. But we're going through this same series. And we read this story again, and one of the small group questions was, what about this woman's testimony do you think caused the other Samaritans to follow Jesus? And I've been thinking about this question ever since Wednesday night, thinking about it, what was it about her testimony he told me everything I ever did. What was it about her testimony that led others to believe in Jesus? Some say that she is the first evangelist, the first evangelist in the Bible, the first person to go and tell others the good news of Jesus, the first person to bring others along. She converted many to follow Jesus. And it really was as simple as telling her testimony. Have you ever shared your testimony with others? Does it make you feel nervous or afraid? I think that we can learn a lot from this first evangelist on how to share our story, how to share our testimony. What was it about her testimony that led others to believe in Jesus? Was it her knowledge of the scriptures? Was it her ability to exegete the scriptures and preach a big lengthy sermon? Was that what brought others to follow Jesus? Anyone? No. No, it wasn't. It wasn't her ability to argue apologetics or her ability to argue a case for Christ. She simply shared her testimony. And her testimony was simple. It was, he ever did. We're reading, we're going to read about another testimony. It's the testimony of a man who was born blind. The story begins in John 9. And it's a lengthy story. But it begins in John 9, and this man, he was born blind from birth. And the disciples, they wanted to know why was he blind. 
was it him who sinned or was it his father or his parents who sinned? Because in those days, they believed if someone was born blind, it was because someone had sinned. It was evidence of sin in their minds. If this man was born blind, it was because he or his parents sinned. To which Jesus replies to them, no, it was neither of them. It was neither the man nor his parents were the sinners. This happened so that God, so this happened so that the works of God could be on display. And so after this, Jesus, he spits on the ground and he spits on the dirt. He takes the dirt and saliva and he makes some mud and he puts it in the guy's eyes and he tells him to go wash his eyes off. And so the man goes and washes his eyes off and he's healed. He's able to see. And the people, they get confused. They're not sure it's the same man. They recognize him, but he's different. He can see. How can he see? And so they're confused. It's quite unbelievable. And so today's scripture reading, it picks up in John 9, 13. That's just the backstory. So in John 9, 13 through 34, hear the word of the Lord today. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, so he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, 
How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did you catch his testimony in that story? He said, I was blind, but now I see. But the people in the story, they still don't believe him. They think he's a different man. They can't believe it's the same person. And so they go to his parents because his parents can vouch for him. It kind of reminds me of those weight loss pictures that you sometimes see on the internet. You're looking at the before and after, and you you just don't believe it. You don't think there's no way that's the same person. They have different eye colors. Um, it reminds me of that. And so they go to his parents because they don't believe him. They don't believe that it's the same man. And the parents, they say, he is our son. We know that he's our son. We know that he was born blind. But how he can see, we do not know. So go and ask him. Because they were afraid, they were afraid that if they confessed that that it was Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, then they would be kicked out of the synagogue and they didn't want to be kicked out. And so they say, go to the man, he is of age, and they let their son get kicked out of the synagogue. It's how the story goes. But the man, he shares his testimony and it's simple. I was blind, but now I see. And you would think the people would be excited, a miracle just took place. The man, he was born blind, and now he can see. This is some big news, so why aren't they excited? They actually get upset. And the man himself, he doesn't even seem to know what happens at first. He says, all I know is this, I was blind, but now I see. He was blind when he encountered Jesus, and Jesus sent him away to wash his eyes. And so when he comes back, he doesn't see Jesus right away. He doesn't know much about Jesus, but he knows his experience. I was blind, but now I see. He knows that someone radically changed his life. And the religious leaders, they might, they might know more theology than the blind man. They might know more scriptures than the blind man. But this man, he knows his experience. I was blind, but now I see. As I was studying this past week, I read a story about a man who was a recent convert to Christianity. And there was this conversation that he had with an unbelieving friend. And it went like this. His friend said, so you've been converted to Christ? And the man said, yes. And so the unbelieving friend said, then you must know a great deal about him. Tell me, what country was he born in? And the man, he replied, I don't know. And so the unbelieving friend said, what age was he when he died? He was testing his knowledge. And the, the new convert, he said, I don't, I don't know what age he was when he died. And so the unbelieving friend, he said, how many sermons did he preach? And he said, I don't know. I don't know how many sermons he preached. And the unbelieving friend said, you certainly know very little about this man you claim to follow. He was trying to shame him. And the, the, belief, the new convert, he said, you're right. I'm ashamed of how little I know about him, but what I do know, I know this much, that three years ago I was a drunkard. I was in debt. My family was falling to pieces. They dreaded the sight of me, but now I've given up drinking. We're out of debt, our, and our home is happy now. My children eagerly await my return home each evening. All this Christ has done for me. This much I know. He didn't know the facts about Jesus, but he knew his experience and his encounter with Jesus. I think when it comes to evangelism, it is as simple as sharing your story. 
Think about your own story. It's as simple as thinking about this is the way things were. This is what happened. And this is how things are now. And not everyone's going to believe you. Some religious leaders might want to kick you out of the synagogue. Not everyone's going to believe you. And it's not your job to convert other people. Jesus and the Holy Spirit does the convicting and converting. Our job is to simply share our story. My life was like this. Then this happened and now it's like this. Everyone has a story and everyone has a different story, but I think they all follow that similar formula. I know some people came to Christ at a young age and maybe they didn't, they can't think of a before in an encounter with Jesus, but I think we all have experienced God's grace in our life. Even if you follow Jesus from a young age, what's the story of God's grace in your life? How has Jesus changed your life through an encounter with him? Today, we're celebrating the 110th anniversary of Discovery Church. I imagine there's a lot of stories about the faithfulness of God through this church. And I was trying to think of how to incorporate stories into service. I'm kind of going over on time. But, um, <laughs> but afterwards, as we're eating, I would love to hear stories of God's faithfulness. I was watching... The slides go by in that live nativity. I know some people have said they started coming to this church because of the live nativity. And it's, it's so neat to hear these stories of God's faithfulness. And I think it's through these stories that we can convert other people to Christ. We just share our story and God works through the story. And so I'm going to close in prayer and invite the worship team to come forward. I love this final final song, and then we'll close with a blessing, and we'll go out for our our potluck and our celebration and our filling out five cards, remember? <laughs> Dear Jesus, you are the center of it all. You are the one who changes our lives. You, We were blind, but now we see, Lord. You bring, you bring us healing. You bring us hope. And Lord, help us to share that story with others so that others will know you more and more. We thank you for the way you transform our lives. May you be the center of our conversations this week, the center of our lives, Lord. We